Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we are here ready to talk about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, really the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and C.S. Lewis Part 2. And uh, as we are set to talk about this, we will do this. We will have this conversation with Father Mike. So, Father Mike, great to have you with me another evening. Hey, it's good to be with you. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we've been kind of out of the studio, so it yes. feels good to be it, back. <laughs> it feels weird, actually. I've been, you were sick a couple of weeks ago, as, as was I, Father Mike. And my wife and I, uh, we got a week away, a very rare week away. So, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. And I'm still recovering from that sickness because as I've been on air the, the past few weeks, I've, uh, or rather the past few nights, I've been struggling to, to get some momentum, so yeah. I think we should be okay this evening, though. Oh, I, I feel you, and I just want to point out to you and to our listeners that I'm not at all offended by the fact that you feel weird when you see me. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. No, I'm playing. It's good to be with yeah. you. All right. As I just mentioned, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe Part 2 with C.S. Lewis, before we get into some of the things that we started to talk about forever ago, Father Mike... I did receive a couple of questions, and any time I get questions, it's really important for me to answer those questions, oh, especially yeah. as they apply to our subject matter. And the first actually brings us back to Von Balthasar. Hmm. Someone had just started to listen to us again, and they listened to our first program. They said, Joe, can you talk a little more about Von Balthasar, and can you speak to the, the potential of watching too much drama theater TV? So... I thought we could talk about that for a little bit. And then there was another question about C.S. Lewis and his time in the Great War. Uh, So with that, uh, a quote here from von Balthasar to get us started, Father Mike. He said this, In theater, man attempts a kind of transcendence, endeavoring to both observe and judge truth, in search and virtue of a transformation by which he tries to gain clarity for himself. So what is he saying there? Well, in other words, uh, the screen is a kind of mirror Mm. into just not society, yes, society, but also into human nature itself. The screen invites us into a reflection, um, a contemplation, if you will, into something that we might not otherwise contemplate. And by that, I mean, again, the capacity to which the screen has a way of inviting us to reflect into something, beckoning us, if you will, to reflect into something. Yeah. Well, you know, I have two kind of reactions to that. And the first is that maybe we'd have to qualify it and say that drama can be yeah. that for yes. us. Yes. You know, certainly there's some, some garbage out there. Uh, but even in that, I think it, it speaks to us about uh, human nature. The other, um, so that, that would be the first thing that I would say is that... Uh, uh, Balthazar, von Balthazar is saying that uh, the stage can be this for us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if it tends toward transcendence and, and what you pointed out. The second thought that I have is uh, binge watching can very much be an escape from our human reality instead of an appreciation and, uh, and an observation of it. Yeah, and von Balthazar says that very thing. Now, 
he didn't have Netflix in his day. Right. But we did have that tendency 40, 50 years ago when television was new because it was so new to spend so much time with it. So he was aware of yeah. what was inside of us. So I do think that we're, we are talking about uh, something intentional, uh, uh, consciously or unconsciously, when, when it comes to the, uh, the creator of the drama, of the film, but also in the, in the spectatorship. It's one thing to, uh, you know, to explore one's own humanity, relationships, characters, drama, and a story. It's something else because I'm just trying to disconnect. Yeah. And certainly von Balthasar is not talking about um, kind of numbing my humanity, quite mm-hmm. the contrary. Yeah, very much so. I mean, if we are observing or watching something that is shallow and or unworthy to the dignity of the human person, then von Balthasar would say that's a waste of time. Yeah. He would say, woe to you, vanity. Yeah. You know, mindful that vanity means a waste of time. Really, and, and that is something we are to be present to. Oh, and I think we know. I think we know when we're just bored. Mm-hmm. And then we know when I'm, I'm actually engaging and reflecting. I think that that's something that uh, there's a consciousness issue there. Yeah. And I do think that we are also aware um, of what we're watching specific to whether or not it is something shallow or unworthy to the dignity of the human person. Yeah, uh, this comes up a lot. Uh, you know, uh, when people come to me, and especially young people, they say, Father, is it bad if I this or that? Or <laughs> yeah. is this music bad? Or is that movie bad? And the question I always have is, uh, is it good? Mm-hmm. You know, is it helping you? Is it is it opening yeah. your whatever? Uh, so I think that that's a good uh, metric, and I think that that kind of discernment is not hard discernment. Yeah, and I would ask, uh, why are you asking me the question? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if if you're asking me the question, right, and at the very least suggests <laughs> that is probably not something hey, you should be watching. If you came to talk to a priest about it, <laughs> yeah, my intuition. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. let me. My kind of yeah, feeling yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me tell you what you've already told yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. All right, so. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, the other question that came in, Father Mike, was, well, someone was just really struck by the fact that he and Tolkien were in the Great War and had those, you know, near-death experiences. Mm. Now, the question was, how did Narnia come out from this? And there's a beautiful piece that, again, comes to us from the book I mentioned a few weeks ago, authored by Joseph Lacante, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. Uh, He goes into what C.S. Lewis talks about in Surprised by Joy. All right, the frights, the cold, the smell of high explosive, the horribly smashed men still moving like half-crushed beetles, the sitting or standing corpses, the landscape of sheer earth without a blade of grass, the boots worn day and night till they seemed to grow to your feet. They got the best of me and they began to take away my spirit. Mm. Okay, so I think... That point there very much captures his desolation. Mm. And now, why does he talk about this in Surprised by Joy? Because he also says in that work, after arriving in uh, Enslay Palace Hospital in London, about what it then provided for him after further reflection. He says this, Can you imagine how I enjoyed my journey to London? First of all, the sight and smell of the sea that I have missed for so many long and weary months, and then the beautiful green country seen from the train. I think I never enjoyed anything so much at the scenery, all the white and the hedges and the fields so full of buttercups that in the the distance they seem to be of solid gold. Hmm. So here he's 
leaving the battlefront, and he's describing this scene that he sees in such descriptive words, you know, the horribly smashed men still moving like half-crushed beetles. And then as he reflects further, as he leaves the war front, and now he's on this train heading back to the hospital, he has something else to say, uh, quite the contrary of what he just saw but a few hours before that. Um, And what else here, Father Mike? He says, and from this reflection... Narnia emerges. We can kind of see that uh, that progression in, in the, the story. You begin with the war-torn Europe to this frozen overworld to the gradual coming of a new springtime. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's, it's very, uh, very palpable in the development. Yeah, you know, and to the question, how does C.S. Lewis come out of this? We have to remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin arises, grace abounds all the more. Uh, where there is ugliness beauty abounds all the more. You know, this is, uh, and not to make this about me, which I love to do, <laughs> but this is... That's... Well, why do, you, why do you think I bring you... <laughs> <laughs> but that is one of the, I mean, whenever I, as a priest, I sit in the confessional, that, those are the words that are always uh, resonant with me, and I, and I find mm. myself saying it more often. I probably say it to everybody, and everybody's probably tired of it. But I mean, th- that's... I'm not. I've been to confession <laughs> to you a few times. <laughs> but that's, that's what's so striking, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Mm-hmm. I just can't, um, th- that becomes so tangible for me um, every time I sit down and do that. The beauty in the cross. Bishop yeah. Robert Barron talks about it. He says that Jesus goes to the very limits of God-forsakenness. Yeah. Uh, th- this idea that out of the worst, God gives what's best. Amen to that. And so, as we speak to this, Father Mike, we have this line that we touched upon, but... Afterwards, we were talking more, and it's certainly something to be developed. This line from the Queen. Mm-hmm. You have given up your life and saved no one so much for love. Yeah, you, you know, know, and the that was so powerful for me. Yeah. It was a powerful scene. Powerful because um, this was certainly a question for early Christians, you know, that Christ has accomplished our salvation, and yet why is it that some aren't responsive to that salvation? We We don't have to look too far to see that even in ourselves. But for me, you know, and, and we talked about this a little bit at the coffee shop. Uh, we do a little pre-co- pre-game coffee thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a voice that every one of us has heard mm-hmm. within our own hearts. Yeah. You know, when we, we get discouraged, we, we feel uh, some sense of failure, betrayal, like, what all of your good efforts, I, I went to church, I prayed to God, and this terrible thing happened. It was all for nothing. Like, this is the great um, lie, firstly, that the devil tells and the great uh, discouragement that, all of your efforts, all of your faithfulness, all of your faith is counted for nothing because look what's happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the terrible lie, and it's, it's all the devil's got, in yep. a sense. Yeah, I mean, what is Satan's function but to sow confusion, to sow doubt, mm-hmm. uh, to accuse that this is what it is? You know, I, I teach at the Avalon Institute. It's an online program for spiritual theology, and we've been in this kind of thing, this subject matter, and wow, from almost every student, have I heard the very thing that we're talking about now. You know, Professor Holcraft, I, I've been reading this work and that work, and I've been listening to you, and all I hear is, <laughs> you've given up your life and saved no one so much for love. Look at everything you did. So what's the big deal? Yeah. Do you see its fruit? Yeah. Do you see its fruit? And what is the great mystery in this? I mean, as Christians and as Catholics, Father Mike... What is that most overarching Christological mystery? That Jesus' very life, 
His very humanity and divinity has passed over into this sacramental life and consequently is to be reproduced in our very souls, mm. in our very lives. We are just not transformed in Christ. We are transformed into Christ's very life. Yeah, and you know, and it's, it's take hold of this mystery that Christ's life is a life of self-communicating, self-giving love, whether that love comes back or not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that we can get very caught up in what is it worth, like what's yeah. coming back to me, but it's who God is to love, not because it does or doesn't come back, but because it's, it's what, it's who he is. Yeah, it's the great Thomas Aquinas moment, to love is to will the good of the other for the sake of other. You know, we're not going to get anything back in return. Um, and, but this is hard. And the yeah. reality is, I mean, you get it a lot in the confessional. As a teacher, I get it here or there. We have to meet people exactly where they are at. Mm-hmm. And as God would do it, to walk with them, right, exactly as he would. Yeah. To, to the best of our ability, realizing that when they say, what good is, is all the sacrifice? Yeah. What good is all the suffering? Yeah. What is the point of God in all this? To just take their hand and journey with them. You know, and this, uh, Aslam answers this later. He says, she didn't understand the queen. She didn't understand the meaning of sacrifice. She didn't understand the deep magic of the realm, because if she had, she would have interpreted all of that differently. And I think that, um, you know, Jesus puts this in some way. He, you know, he kind of suggests that the kingdom of God is like that. It's a life in which we plant, but we don't necessarily see the fruit. The farmer plants the seed, but it grows at night when he's unaware. Mm -hmm. Somehow this is the dynamic of the kingdom, that God calls us to be givers because he's been the giver first, and we trust that the the fruit uh, is born in its own time. Um, I, I may have mentioned this before. One of my favorite poems uh, is uh, by W.H. Auden called The More Loving One. And he asks, you know, in a relationship, sometimes we love more, and that love, it just doesn't come back. You've done it for no one. And uh, sometimes people love us, and we can't return that love. And he says a beautiful line. He says, if equal affection cannot be, let the more loving one be me. Mm. Amen. And I would say that God is the forever more loving one. And because yeah. that's the truth... Because yeah. we have that, that is the life that's being given to us. Yeah. That's also the call for us. Benedict XVI says within this context, God is the always more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God is the always more because God is, yes, mystery, but as such, inexhaustible love. Yeah. He is the always more. You know, and the last thing that I would say about this, if I could put myself in the lion's shoes, uh, you've given uh, your life for no one. And I'm thinking of these kids, I would say, they are not no one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so perhaps there's another level of meaning there and we, we might all I mean we would say of ourselves I mean who am I mm-hmm. you know uh, who am I that you would love me uh, to one another certainly to God and I think that we need to hear that voice which isn't uh, you know maybe uh, is evoked by this scene yeah. by which uh, I think Aslan would say these kids are not no one yeah. not to me yeah who's determining who's no one Right? (laughs) That's the bottom line, and and it's so well said, Father Mike, because in the end, certainly Satan's confusion, what he's trying to sow is the most important is the no one, which, of course, as you and I both know is, well, if we we are all created in the image and likeness of God, we are all equal in in human dignity, and as such, the no one is everyone. Therefore, God calls us to lay down our life. I don't don't want to get too far off track, but I mean, think about St. Maximilian Kolbe Mm. in Auschwitz. Right, this man who dies for just another prisoner. Yeah. But uh, Gajovnicek, this Polish father who 
fell to the ground after hearing that he would be sent down to the starvation chamber, he has a name. Yeah. You say Maximilian Colby stepped forward and said, take my life in place of his. For Christ and therefore for the Christian, there is no such thing as a nobody. Yes. Amen. You mentioned the kingdom of God. And certainly, Father Mike, there is a kingdom of God motif in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. You have the kings, you have the queens, you have armor, you have all that probably belongs to how we might think of kingdom, what is regal. Uh, this is a very rich theme, yeah. certainly in the life and thought of the church, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. Why? Because while well, you've already spoken to it, Jesus Christ himself spoke to it on numerous occasions. We have the beautiful kingdom of heaven parables. But what are we to make of the kingdom of God, and how might that apply to Narnia? Well, I want to turn our attention to a church father by the name of Origen. He breaks the kingdom of God up into three categories, and Benedict develops this in his work, Jesus of Nazareth. And those three categories are, the kingdom of God is first Christological. Mm -hmm. That is to say, as Pope Francis said recently in his exhortation, Joy of the Gospel, that the kingdom of God is Christ, Mm -hmm. right? Christ incarnated the kingdom of God. He incarnated all that properly belongs to the kingdom of God. So, before we talk about the kingdom of God as anything else, it's first about Christ. Christ is the center. And certainly we see this in Narnia. Aslan was really at the heart of this drama, of this narrative. Second, the kingdom of God is mystical. Now, we use the phrase, let the kingdom of God reign in your hearts. Well, there's something, Father Mike, deeply true about that. You know, we were just talking about the life of Christ being reproduced in our very lives. You know, St. Paul says, it is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. That yes, Christ actually now abides in us in such a way that it is Christ living. Uh, So there's this mystical component to it. And then lastly, there's this regal function, which of course, Father Mike speaks more to the institutional element of the church. I mean, the church is first and foremost the family of God, but there is going to be that institutional aspect to the church the way in which she governs, the way in which she interacts with the world. So there you have it, Christological, mystical, and regal. Yeah, I mean, we are uh, corporeal beings, we're social, we're uh, societal, and so there is going to be that aspect of governing and organization, structure, institution. All of that is human, and whatever is human is made holy by the Incarnation. That's what we believe. Um, But but I, I think that it's also so important to point out that for Jesus, the kingdom of God was very much the, the access to the Father, the reign of God in a way that begins very interiorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it begs the question, I mean, even for us now, uh, it's such a powerful image in, our, in this story, obviously, in the way we conceive of uh, Christianity, spiritual warfare, uh, you name it. Uh, it's a powerful, evocative image for us, and it does beg the question, in my concept and in my relationship with God, um, is he my king? Do I have a king? Yeah. You know, and I, I was thinking about that with the readings a couple of weeks ago. Do I go through a life as a man who says, I have a king? Mm-hmm. I have someone who has complete, immediate, total, absolute claim on everything that I am and everything that I have. Is that my conception of myself? You know, so to, to speak of, of, of the presence of God in the world, to speak of access to God as uh, being in a relationship with a king and being part of a kingdom... Um, it's very striking, powerful imagery. Um, 
I was sharing with you, it, it was it struck me, and this is such a, a an important image in the church. Uh, the uh, all of the the armor of God and, and kind of waging the war and whatnot is so much a part of our tradition. It's interesting that that emerges. Um, that, that for me, I was struck that Jesus he didn't call his disciples soldiers, mm-hmm. you know. And so we're, we are uh, on some level talking about so, uh, something that's very much in the interior life and interior struggle. Yeah. It strikes me that uh, so much of our wars have to do with uh, deep internal conflicts that push themselves out. Mm, mm. Um, so certainly the kingdom of God um, is never going to move first as a system or as a movement or as an agenda, but as this internal encounter with a king, um, an internal coming to peace that can then also push itself outward. Yeah, and as you speak to that, Father Mike, um, it's interesting. The only time that you see the word soldier is when Paul is writing to Timothy, and he puts it in the context of our hardships. So while on one hand we are soldiers of Christ when we defend his teaching, and this is certainly, you talked about what is developed in the church, that is very much developed in the church fathers and St. Theodore and St. Cyril of Alexandria and many others. But the only time we see it in the New Testament is when Paul is talking about uh, our hardships, Hmm. that we are a soldier for Christ in relationship to how we deal with our hardships. So what is Paul saying there? Well, (laughs) what does St. Augustine say? Life is a struggle in grace. We have to have that kind of interior struggle to overcome our hardships, or maybe better said, allow our hardships to become a means by which to attain the kingdom of heaven that he has promised within us. Oh, yes, and, and, to, and to be uh, valiant and strong and to fight the good fight. The risk there is that um, we certainly don't want the personality of the soldier in the sense that we're hard-hearted. Yeah. Or, or the risk being that those who don't believe have become my enemies in the defense of the faith, or that I am at war with the world, which uh, God has already said from the very beginning is a good world. And it's so easy to do that. Yep. It's so easy to do that. We just draw the line in the sand, and we say, you belong to that side, and I belong to this side. Uh, culturally speaking, you're in this camp, I'm in, I'm in that camp, right, left. We have separated mm-hmm. ourselves from one another within this stream of thought. So I think that's a a very good point. But here's the thing, Father Mike, you're right. That is not what Jesus Christ intended. And that's not what St. Paul is talking about. The enemy is the adversary, capital A, Satan, right? And so when we are in apologetics, evangelization, catechesis, all of that, we do all of that to summon man into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, There's something else here, Father Mike, I I wanted to talk about. You know, you were just talking about how the kingdom of God really is about now having access to the Father's love, and I really love that image. It made me think about a story that comes to us from the legend of Alexander the Great. Uh, The story is told that uh, one day, upon heading home from a victorious battle, King Alexander's caravan came upon a beggar by the roadside who asked for a copper coin. Hmm. Initially, the courtier sent him away, but King Alexander intervened and asked what the poor man wanted. The courtier said a copper coin. After looking at the man, King Alexander returned to his carriage to grab a bag of coins. He returned to the beggar and gave him a bag of gold coins. Hmm. 
Isn't that something? The courtier was surprised by this gift, and he looked upon King Alexander and said, Sir, a copper coin would have adequately met the beggar's need. The beggar's desire, why give him gold? Alexander responded, as a king responds. A copper coin would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Isn't that beautiful? A gold coin suits Alexander's giving. And uh, oh, by the way, King Alexander said to the beggar, why don't you get in my caravan and return to my kingdom? And as the story is told, that beggar had a very high place in his kingdom. He had a sharing in everything that King Alexander possessed. Right? So I share that story because as you talk about the kingdom of God really being about gaining access mm -hmm. to the king, to the father, I think that story illustrates that point. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he asks this one very simple question, as we so often do in our own journey of faith. And God had so much more in store for him, which included access to everything that he had. Yeah. And, and we don't realize that, I think, all the time, that as baptized sons and daughters of the Christian faith, we have access to everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's an extraordinary truth. And I think this is great, and the movie plays this out so well that when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, he's not speaking of the afterlife, but yeah, he's speaking yeah. of this reality, no, the, the reign, the immediacy, the presence of God, which is already proleptically present in the prophecy for, for Narnia, and it's ever more present with the coming of springtime, and that very much is the sense of the coming of the kingdom in the New Testament as well, already a proleptically present in the promise, made present in the church to come in its fullness at the end of time. Amen. Amen. Well, Father Mike, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. I'm still looking down at my notes. We didn't get to everything that we wanted to talk about. But anyhow, I think we spoke to enough here. And my hope is that our listening audience, if they haven't seen any of the movies that belong to, to Narnia, the Narnia series, or for that matter, haven't read any of C.S. Lewis, that they would do so. Yeah. Because certainly to read C.S. Lewis, to watch those movies, is to be enriched, enriched in uh, transcendent truths, as Von Balthasar would speak to it. I don't know if you can close this with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, come down upon you all and remain with you forever. Amen. And a uh, quick postscript here, Father Mike. Next week's program, The Truman Show. Okay, The Truman Show. God bless. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.com. Dot org.